Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Good morning. I'm delighted to welcome you to our event today, The Promise to America's Children. Around the country, children are being sexualized, not only through the culture and through social media, but through policies and laws that are passed both at the state and the federal level. The Promise to America's Children has united parents, concerned citizens, and lawmakers to stop the sexualization of children through these policies and laws. It is an effort to protect children's minds, bodies, and their relationships with their parents. The Promise to America's Children is more important than ever as the House of Representatives prepares to vote on the Equality Act. The Equality Act would add sexual orientation and gender identity to the 1964 Civil Rights Act, and it would create a destructive gender ideology in education, and it would establish a government-favored viewpoint on marriage that would stigmatize children and their parents. We are delighted to welcome today Representative Vicki Hartzler, who will speak about the promise to America's children and how we can all work together to protect children, America's most precious resource. Mrs. Hartzler, I'd like you to join us on screen. Thank you. Well, I am so pleased to be here. Thank you so much for holding this, and thank you to each one of you who are here viewing this, this very, very important topic. Certainly, there is nothing uh, as important as our children and their future, and it's very troubling that in a few short hours, a bill is going to be introduced here on Capitol Hill that jeopardizes our children and their future. It is going to uh, lead to potentially harming uh, many of America's children's bodies. It's going to impact what is taught at schools. It's going to uh, discriminate against them. And I, they call it the Equality Act, but truly I call it the Inequality Act because it's going to um, put children on a, a different level playing field than others and it's going to jeopardize their future. It drives backwards the rights that women and children have gained over the years and it's, um, this is a very uh, critical time for this seminar. It's certainly going to impact parents, adoption agencies, religious organizations, medical professionals. And it's very timely that we talk about this bill and uh, why it needs to be defeated. Thank you, Mrs. Hartzler. And now I would like to invite Autumn Leva, the Vice President for Strategy at the Family Policy Alliance, to join us on screen for a discussion with Representative Hartzler who has been a tireless advocate for American values and for children and their parents. Well, thank you, Emily, and thank you, Congresswoman Hartzler, for all you are doing to stand for America's families, both in your district in Missouri, as well as just across the nation. We're so grateful. Um, and thank you so much for your standing strong against the Equality Act. It really is uh, an inequality act. And what we need to do, especially because we're hearing that you won't get the opportunity to even um, amend the bill really in the House as the Democratic leadership pushes this forward. Um, and so what we think we need to do is really expose what's in the bill and why it's harmful and dangerous to families. Um, so one aspect I'd like to talk about today is an exciting one because um, there's been over 20 states across the country who have pushed forward 
uh, legislation to protect girls sports, which you would think girls sports wouldn't need protecting. I, I competed in girls sports. Uh, but they do because some of the, the ideology now is allowing males to compete in girls sports, which takes away their opportunity to compete. And so I wonder if you would be able to talk about the Equality Act and how it would impact girls sports and why that's a problem. Um, and if you're able to t share a personal story on that, that would be wonderful too. Well, absolutely. And Autumn, like, like you, I also enjoyed participating in high school sports in my hometown of Archie, Missouri, when I was growing up. Like, volleyball and basketball and track. And then when I became a teacher, I taught home economics for 11 years. I got to be a track coach uh, for six years. And so I worked with a lot of high school athletes, both males and females. But what is very concerning to me is the impact of the Equality Act on women's sports. And it will send back women uh, and ruin all the gains that they have made uh, to get a level playing field in sports by allowing those uh, who have a different gender identity, uh, biological males who identify as females to participate in female sports. And as we know, God made males and females differently uh, physically. And uh, by doing this, it endangers uh, women's opportunities to, to win and to compete and to get scholarships. And we only have to look at Connecticut which has allowed uh, transgenders to participate in female sports for several years to see the impact. And we have two brave uh, female athletes there that have spoken up and objected to that, and rightly so, because uh, men, uh, biological males who identify as female, have won over uh, 15 different championships that would have gone uh, to these two girls. And, um, their names are uh, Alana Smith and Selena Sewell. And I'm so proud of them for speaking up and objecting to this because they were denied a gold and silver medals uh, that could have gone to them. There's 13 state titles, uh, uh, records that have been set by the males instead of the females. So uh, not only are they denied the ability to get uh, their medals and to stand understand and get the recognition they deserve, but they are missing out on uh, scholarship opportunities. And so if this is allowed to go nationwide through the Equality Act, um, you know, we, we won't have uh, women's sports that uh, are fair and um, it's gonna set us back. And I'm very concerned as well for the Olympics and what it means. So what's to say a certain country won't actually encourage uh, uh, biological males who identify as females to participate. It just gonna, it just makes it unfair. So that's why one of the reasons that this bill is really the Inequality Act, it's gonna set women back and um, it should be defeated. I absolutely agree. Thank you, Congresswoman Hartzler. And it's such such an important issue. Um, I, I, I also wanna touch on an issue that I know is near and dear to your heart, and that is parental rights and the relationships that Emily mentioned between parents and their children. We know that children's greatest protectors and their advocates are their parents, um, and that parents are truly best at parenting, not the government. Um, and so I was wondering if you could explain to all of the viewers today how the relationships with parents, children's relationships with their parents would be impacted by the Equality Act. Mm -hmm. Well, I think offhand of at least two examples. First is in the education realm. I was a, a high school teacher in a public high school. 
But if the Equality Act passes, it's going to filter down into what is taught in the schools, uh, sexual information, and it's just going to be the norm that the schools will start promoting the idea of sexual uh, orientation, uh, gender identity as just part of the curriculum without parents knowing about it or having an opportunity to opt in or opt out because it'll just be considered discrimination if you try to set aside and say, you know, maybe this isn't uh, the way to go or this is concerning, uh, this is what marriage looks like. That won't even be controversial. It'll just be mandated that anytime there's books about marriage, we have uh, both examples of same-sex couples and opposite-sex couples. And so it'll just be infiltrated into the entire curriculum from kindergarten on without parents even knowing about it or having an opportunity to have a say. And so that's the first concern I would have as, as and I'm a parent, as parents in that what is gonna be taught in our schools. The second area of concern for parents is as it relates to making the decisions over the healthcare of your child. Um, it's very, very concerning a couple of years ago in Ohio, when some parents had the parental rights taken away by a judge because they had a daughter who wanted to transition and become a male and they objected to that. And so the, um, they were taken to court and the judge gave the custody to the grandparent. If I remember the details of the, the case right, I believe they were given to the grandparent who did support the grandchild going through the puberty blockers and the hormone treatments and then ultimately the surgery to transition to become a, a physical male. And that is just shocking. It is just uh, heartrending uh, to, to think that some parents were not able to determine the healthcare, uh, what they thought was best for their daughter and a judge actually stepped in and took away their custody. And so if this passes nationwide, this could be, uh, we could have parents facing this similar situation all over the country. That's exactly right. And I think Congresswoman Hartzler, you've really described um, two very, very real issues with the bill that show how out of step the bill is with where the American people are. Uh, because on the issue of girls' sports, I mean, if over 20 states are passing legislation specifically to protect girls' sports, that shows right there that uh, Americans really want their daughters to be able to compete on a fair playing field. Um, so you're absolutely right. And this bill would, would harm that. Um, and similarly, American parents, I, I can say myself as a new parent, I know that I, I know better than what the government does, what my daughter's healthcare needs are. And I think that's where most parents are at. And so this bill is, is really just um, a big government overstep into the lives of American families that is both unnecessary and also dangerous. Um, and so we've talked a lot about how democratic leadership and the Biden, including the Biden administration, um, have made their position clear with this bill and where they stand. Um, but I, I wanna shift a little bit to talk about what you stand for, Representative Hartzler, because I know you've been a, a good pro-family champion all of your years of elected office. And I know that you're here today, we're all here today, um, supporting the promise to America's children as a much better platform and a much better place uh, from which to uh, protect children 
than what the Equality Act is. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about why you support the Promise to America's Children and what it means to you. Well, I, I appreciate you all putting together the Promise to America's Children because it's such a positive way to view this. Instead of just being against the so-called Equality Act, this really puts into focus what it's about and that we are for children and we are for our future as a nation because what is taught to the one generation you know, becomes the policy of our country. And they are really going after our children uh, through this policy, trying to control their minds, what is taught in the schools and, and share an ideology that is, that is very uh, a contrary and to what many of us believe, very concerning and certainly it's controversial. It shouldn't be taught as fact and our children should not be indoctrinated with it because they have, they're the ones that are going to be harmed by it. And uh, like I said, I am a former teacher. I love kids. I am a mom. And we don't, it's up to us, the adults right now, to protect them and to stop these attacks on them so that that is all they're going to be taught. And potentially several children will be uh, subjected to medical treatments as they are confused. And the thing is about gender dysphoria is that 98% of the boys who um, are, are struggling with that during, during puberty and 88% um, of females end up coming to a place where they accept their biological sex after they go through puberty. It's not unusual. I work with teenagers for years. It's, it's not unusual for kids to be confused and, and have different feelings and emotions. And certainly in today's world, there's a lot of troubling things for our teenagers out there. Uh, but they need to be supported and helped and assisted and guided through those times of searching and confusion to help them come back to the healthy place, the place where God intended for them to be, the way that God made them male and female. They have a plan and purpose for each one of their lives. And we don't want that to get sidetracked by an agenda from the government that potentially could lead them on a path of surgery that they regret later that could cause them to be sterile where they live with, with regret. Um, so there's, a, there's other ways to deal with uh, the challenges of being a teenager than inflicting this policy on them. And certainly we need to celebrate our differences and not try to make us all uh, the same whether that be a women's sports or other things. And I also feel passionate about this because of the implication for adoption agencies. My husband and I were blessed with our daughter through adoption. And this bill would impact and has impacted adoption agencies that are faith-based all across this country, simply because they don't want to, they want to only place children in a home where there's a mom and a dad. And some states and some cities have said, well, because of this discrimination policy we have, you're discriminating against same-sex couples or whatever. And so we're not going to uh, utilize you anymore. And what that means is that we have many foster children out there who are being denied being able to get into a loving home. And we're, we're denying children being able to be connected to a forever family through adoption when these wonderful faith-based adoption agencies shut down. And so this bill has huge impacts. Certainly it'll detrimentally uh, harm children. It'll hurt adoptions, the, that possibility. It'll harm their education, girls' sports, 
and faith-based organizations as well as medical professionals could be impacted. I'm not a doctor, but I have several friends who are, and they're very concerned that if this passes, it will force them to have to do surgeries, sex change operations on children against their deeply held beliefs or else they could be sued for discrimination. And you think that could never happen? Well, we have two instances of two states that have similar laws in New Jersey and California where the hospitals were sued uh, because they would not participate in a gender transition surgery. Um, so this is, this is very real and uh, it needs to be stopped. We completely agree with you, Congresswoman, and I, I think that's so powerful. Uh, I think our message is a stronger one, that we believe in the wholeness of children's minds, their bodies, and their relationships with their parents. We don't believe that it's right to tear those things apart and that children should be experimented on before they even reach the age of 18. And then, like you said, uh, later regret what they've done to their bodies, things that were experimental in the first place. Uh, that's so powerful. So with that, I think we have to transition to the panel, but thank you so much, Congresswoman Hartzler, for your time and for standing strong against the Equality Act and helping expose what's in it, especially as we said, because democratic leadership is not going to allow many amendments on it that would expose what's really going on there. So thank you for your time today. Thank you all. God bless. Thank you so much to Congresswoman Hartzler and to you, Autumn. Congresswoman Hartzler is the leader of the House Values Action Team, and we're grateful and her compassion in speaking up for children and their families. And now I'd like to invite the panel to join me on screen. Today we will be joined by Dr. Michelle Cotella, who is the Executive Director of the American College of Pediatricians, Maria Kepler, who's the co-founder of Partners for Ethical Care, and Greg Baylor, the Director of the Center for Religious Schools and Senior Counsel for Government Affairs at the Alliance Defending Freedom. I'd like to start off by um, asking Dr. Catella a few questions. So Mrs. Hartzler and Autumn briefly discussed um, what's going to happen to the medical treatment of gender dysphoria. Could you please briefly describe for us what gender dysphoria is and what the disagreements are over the treatment of it in the medical community? Um, sure, uh, essentially a, um, a child with gender dysphoria is a child who is uncomfortable with their biologic sex. Um, it may be a passing phase. It may be due to um, confusion. Uh, it can also be a sign of underlying traumas and psychopathology. Um, the vast majority of physicians and counselors and therapists in practice strongly believe that first you should take a very um, thorough psychological assessment of the child and the family and search for underlying factors. Because as uh, Representative Hartzler mentioned earlier, um, as long as the children are not, do not have this confusion reinforced, the majority of children who are confused about their biological sex will outgrow it by the time they are young adults. Unfortunately, since, uh, well, with the opening of the first gender clinic in the U.S. in 2007, there has been an, a, an increase in transgender um, activism toward adult civil rights. Um, those in uh, authority 
over the medical education system and um, directives to practicing physicians now recommend that all children, regardless of their age, be affirmed in their gender confusion. We are essentially gaslighting children into the lie <clears throat> that they could be born in the wrong body. This then will put them on a medical pathway, as, Dr. as Representative Hartzler alluded to, in which we stop their normal puberty. We arrest it. We give them a disease, the absence of normal puberty. And then that is then followed up by introducing opposite sex hormones to them, which the combination of which will render children potentially sterile for life. Studies have shown that children who are given puberty blockers, virtually 100% of them, nearly 100%, will then ask for the cross-sex hormones, which means we are sterilizing a great number of emotionally troubled youth. Um, and we already have girls, physically healthy girls, who are being referred for double mastectomies at age 13. Um, this is institutionalized child abuse. We are taking emotionally troubled youth psychologically abusing them by reinforcing their gender sexual confusion and then experimenting on them with toxic drugs and mutilating surgeries. I'm sorry, Emily, I can't hear you. Did you accidentally mute? Thank you, Dr. Catella. That was uh, very sobering information. Could you briefly describe how you have seen the treatment of gender dysphoria in children become politicized? Um, it, it, I've had, um, as executive director, I've been contacted by physicians, counselors uh, across the nation and also internationally um, who have basically said it is career ending. It is career ending now to even suggest to a family um, or to their colleagues um, in a professional setting that um, these children need a thorough psychological assessment. So cancel culture has arrived uh, in medicine and psychology, and it's very frightening. And what do you think the medical profession will look like in another 10 years if the Equality Act were to pass and doctors could be sued for discrimination? if they won't perform those surgeries and prescribe those hormones? We are already seeing um, uh, physicians. I have a good, a good friend, Dr. Alan Josephson, just a tremendous uh, nationally recognized uh, child psychiatrist, um, formerly worked with the academic institution, Louisville uh, University. And because he stood up and um, was assisting as a professional witness, was assisting a family uh, in preventing their child from being put on these toxic hormones, uh, he was fired. He was fired. And he is now engaged in a lawsuit against the university. Uh, so if this act passes, we are going to see the elimination of physicians who believe in first do no harm. Let that sink in. Physicians who believe in first do no harm, therapists, counselors, psychologists who believe in first do no harm will be eliminated from the medical and psychiatric <clears throat> professions. Are those the kind 
of uh, so what you the ones you'll be left with are those who believe in um, experiment first, ask questions later. Thank you. And the hearts of children would be manifold, unfortunately. Thank you very much. Now I'd like to turn to Maria Kepler, the co-founder of Partners for Ethical Care. Maria, as a former teacher and a parent of children who have had transgender ideology introduced into their schools, what concerns you most? Oh, there's so many things to be concerned about, Emily. Um, I, I think it's, as Representative Hartzler said, it's introducing things that are not factual, that are not scientifically underpinned, that have no basis in reality. And we're teaching this to our kids en masse. Um, it's shocking when you see what's actually being done in the schools, what's actually being taught to children. And, and you look at where that's coming from, and it's coming very much from financial and political uh, basis. You know, it, it's, it's about making money. It's about furthering an agenda. And um, my organization, uh, Partners for Ethical Care, we've been doing a survey of um, detransitioners, people who have uh, went, who thought that they were transgender identified and have since um, said that they are not. And I just want to affirm what Dr. Catella said. Some of these people are saying, my, me or my child, um, you know, we went to see a therapist and the therapist would not address any of the other issues. My child was on the autism spectrum. My child had prior trauma. You know, my child um, has other neurological or emotional or behavioral issues. And some of these therapists will not address those. Um, now, I know I'm speaking more to Dr. Fratella's theory of expertise than my own. But what's happening in schools is that teachers, administrators, counselors are being told that they must affirm. And today, affirm, according to the ideology, to affirm someone is to tell them, yes, there is something inherently wrong with you and you need to be medicalized. You're not okay the way you are. And that's no definition of, of affirmation that I agree with. And in no other area of education, psychology, or medicine that I know of is one treatment plan appropriate for every child. So or every person. So kids are being taught from kindergarten upward that some boys have a vagina, some girls have a penis. You can be anything you want to be. I've heard stories of kids being stood up in class and saying, please tell us what your gender identity is in elementary grades. Um, it's, it's just horrific. And I can't in good conscience tell anyone that I think public school in the United States is a safe place for a child right now. Thank you. And we've talked about the promise to America's children. Why do you think that the promise is needed? I think many people do not recognize what's happening. It, it's really shocking. It's hard to believe. Um, I've been deep in the weeds on this for a couple of years, and there are still times I ask myself, is this really happening? I mean, I can't believe this is happening. And I think a lot of families really don't recognize um, how very bad the so-called Equality Act is going to be for every family. This is not just families who are dealing with transgender identified children. This is every family. And as Representative Hartzler mentioned, 
as Abraham Lincoln said, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation is the philosophy of the government in the next generation. And we are raising up a generation of kids who do not understand the basic tenets of biology, the very basic foundations of what it is to be a person. And just from a psychological background, that's a horrible thing to do to a child is to take away the basic objectivity of there are men and there are women. If there's no grounding in reality, where do children have a foundation of what reality is and what truth is? And a further insidious aspect of this for families is that schools are requiring children to lie to their parents because schools, the American, Counselors, American School Counselors Association has put out a, a guidance for counselors that if the child does not approve of the parents finding out about his or her sexuality or gender orientation, then the school cannot tell the parents. The school has to deceive the parents. That's bad enough, stepping in between a parent's authority and relationship over his or her own child. But further what that does, it makes every other child in the classroom have to lie to his or her parents as well. Because the teacher says, oh, Johnny is not Johnny anymore. Johnny's going to be Joanna now, but this is just at school. We're not going to take this and tell our parents about this. So every child in the school is being told to lie to his or her parents. And that's unconscionable. Thank you, Maria. Um, I'd like to turn now to Greg Baylor to discuss the Equality Act. So Greg, could you please tell us how would the addition of the classes of sexual orientation and gender identity to the 1964 Civil Rights Act politicize medicine and education as we've heard? Well, thanks, Emily, for having me as part of this presentation. And thanks, everyone who's joined us to hear about this incredibly important topic. Uh, your question hits the nail on the head. The Equality Act will politicize and bring controversial ideologies into the education system and into the provision of medical and mental health care. Let's talk first about the education system. Uh, all of the problems that you've heard described by Maria and Dr. Catella are going to be exacerbated. They already exist, but they're going to be exacerbated by the Equality Act. Why is that? Well, the first thing is the Equality Act attaches a sexual orientation, gender identity, non-discrimination string to every dollar of federal financial assistance that flows out to the world. And among the biggest recipients of such money are public schools. And what does that non-discrimination requirement require? What does it impose on them? What does it forbid? Well, the folks who support these, uh, the Equality Act and similar proposals say that these recipients of this money, these public schools are required to do precisely the kinds of things that we've been hearing about. Uh, changing the curriculum in order to be more uh, pro-LGBTQ, uh, even without consulting parents, um, opening up private spaces to boys who identify as girls, spaces set aside for privacy and safety for, uh, for girls and for women. Uh, athletics, we've seen all these stories about how girls are losing and being treated unfairly because of the participation of boys in their sports, mandatory pronoun use. So all these things are gonna happen almost certainly as a consequence of the Equality Act. It even reaches into the private school environment sometime. There's an uncertainty about the Equality Act, whether 
the extent to which it reaches into private schools. We hope that it won't, but I think the folks who support it wanted to. And can you imagine taking your kids to a religious school or other private school because of some of the concerns you've had about the public schools and then start to face the very same problems because these schools, like the public schools, are required by law to do some of the very same things. That's another serious risk. And in the medical and mental health care provision of those things, we all the things that we've been hearing, again, will now have, or at least potentially have, the force of law behind them. Uh, right now, a lot of these things are being done voluntarily. They're not good. But what happens when they become at least potentially mandatory? You're, you're a healthcare provider. You're a place of public accommodation. You can't discriminate. Or you're a recipient of federal dollars, which so many health providers are. You can't, quote, discriminate. And again, the definition of discrimination is to do all of these things. You don't want to face a charge of discrimination because you've decided to do the medically appropriate thing and the thing that's consistent with your conscience when you're dealing with a kid who's suffering from, from gender confusion or gender dysphoria. You're going to feel compelled to follow through with social transitioning and medical transitioning. So it really does politicize ideological size, if that's a word. Uh, these really these 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 two contexts where that sort of thing shouldn't happen. Thank you, Greg. Um, could you please describe whether the um, existing religious freedom protections that we have under federal law would be preserved if the Equality Act were to pass? Well, the Equality Act certainly doesn't help matters. Uh, the first thing is there are no religious exemptions in the Equality Act. This is a this is a really somewhat unique phenomenon. So it's the first time it's happened. But if you look back at the history of new SOGI laws being adopted in states and localities, uh, especially during most of the life of that process, you've seen the supporters of these bills willing to create exemptions for religious organizations because they know that that's appropriate and because they know that that respects fundamental constitutionally protected rights. With the Equality Act, you have none of that. Uh, there's no exemption for religious employers. There's no exemption for religious foster care providers. There's no exemption for religious schools. Now, there's, there is a debate about whether some existing exemptions will protect certain kinds of religious entities from claims of discrimination. Uh, Title VII has two religious exemptions in it. I would argue that those exemptions do protect religious um, employers from claims of SOGI discrimination. But the very same people who are saying we need to pass the Equality Act are arguing that th that exemption is not available. It only works when someone's asserting a claim of, uh, of religious discrimination. Same kind of argument going on in the context of the Fair Housing Act. There's a very similar exemption there that protects religious housing providers. You know, and that includes probably college dormitories who have sex separated dorms who don't, many of which don't want to allow men who identify as women to live in women's dorms. There's an exemption there. I would argue that it protects religious housing, housing providers from claims of SOGI discrimination. But again, our friends on the other side of this issue would say that it did not. So no exemptions, they attack the existing exemptions. And then to add insult to injury, uh, the most, I don't know if it's the most uh, destructive feature of the Equality Act, but it's certainly one of them, is what it does to the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. As many of our listeners today may know, uh, it is our primary protection against impositions by the federal government on our religious liberty. It was adopted in response 
to a Supreme Court decision that really undermined our protections, our constitutional protections of religious liberty. And supporters of the Equality Act know that, and they want to get it out of the way. So there's a provision in the Equality Act that says you cannot invoke your rights under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act if you're charged under any of the laws that are amended by the Equality Act. Just unprecedented stuff. Remember, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was passed by a voice vote in the House and an overwhelming majority in the Senate back in 1993, bipartisan to the max and signed by a Democratic president. That sort of approach to religious liberty is gone, I'm afraid. And it's even to the point of essentially repealing large chunks of referendum. Thank you, Greg. And we know that about half the states already have sexual orientation and gender identity classes in their non-discrimination law. So if the Equality Act were to pass, what would the effect be on the states and on these efforts that Adam mentioned to pass laws to protect children? Right. Well, um, we know from sort of a Constitution 101, when there's a conflict between a federal law and a state or local law, the federal law wins. So if you have a right under a state or local law, but there's a contrary obligation in federal law, guess what wins? It's the federal law. So I think in some large measure, the Equality Act would wipe away many of the very protections that we're talking about. Think about it this way. If you have a law, a state law that says uh, men who identify as women are not gonna be allowed to participate against girls and women in uh, scholastic sports, that's great. Um, what if you have a federal law and I think uh, under the Equality Act, Title VI would be this law, which prohibits discrimination by recipients of federal financial assistance. What if you have a federal law that says you have to allow men who identify as women to participate in women's sports, otherwise you're committing sex discrimination, gender identity discrimination, and all of the rest. The, the, the school is in a, an impossible position. It actually has to follow the, the federal law. Um, the other thing, and it, re it, reverts, it relates back to something I said a minute ago. I've talked about how a lot of state and local laws balance the competing interests. I'm not saying they balance them properly. I'm not saying that these are good laws. But nonetheless, there is somewhat more protection in these laws for religious organizations than there are in the Equality Act. And that would all be swept away. If you're a religious organization that has a right to hire people who share your views about these issues, and there's an obligation under federal law that means you know notice quote discrimination whatsoever and there's no exemption there you're going to get sued under that federal law no one's going to bother to sue you under that state law where you have a protection you're going to get sued under that federal law where you have probably no protection so this really does you know upset a lot of what's going on make things a lot worse and put not even to mention uh, all the folks and religious individuals and organizations and others who want to have good medicine and want to pursue the common good and have parental rights, uh, all the folks in those states where these uh, often destructive laws exist, it doesn't matter that their states don't have those laws because they're going to be subject to the federal law. Thank you. Um, what are members of Congress doing or what can they be doing to protect children's minds, bodies, and their relationships with their parents? Yeah, well, uh, given the context, I think the first thing they can do is to oppose the Equality Act, of course, but uh, above and beyond that, we've seen legislation in, uh, in the last couple of Congresses designed to protect uh, children and to protect parental rights and some of these harms would flow 
from the Equality Act and have been flowing from analogs at the state and local level. Uh, legislation like the Child Welfare Provider Inclusion Act, uh, this would deal with the problem of states and localities saying, look, if you're a religious adoption agency that thinks that it's best for a child to be raised by a married mom and dad, uh, you can't be part of our system. You know, there's a case pending at the Supreme Court right now about this. That bill would put into federal law protections for those types of organizations who provide tremendous services, deal with kids that are hard to place, some of which have been operating for decades, even a century, and that's a, a, a positive law. Um, Conscience Protection Act protects the ability of uh, medical and me mental health care providers not to do things that are contrary to their to their convictions um, when they're practicing medicine, whether it be about abortion or it be about the provision of sex reassignment, puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, uh, sex reassignment surgery. Uh, we've seen a number of bills uh, or proposals at, at the federal level, like the state ones you talked about before, that protect the ability of girls to compete fairly in scholastic athletics. Uh, Representative Stubbe has a bill that's pending and we expect similar legislation in the Senate as well. Um, and then finally, uh, there's, there was legislation in the last Congress, and I think it'll be reintroduced in this, that deals with this problem of forced transitioning and inappropriate transitioning of children uh, at, uh, at an early age. And uh, Representative LaMalfa has a bill that's designed to defund, uh, no taxpayer funding for this sort of experimentation on children the medical problems of which Dr. Patel and others have uh, outlined very well. So there are options, there are things that we can support and be in favor of that would ameliorate some of the problems that we're starting to see. And of course, defeating the Equality Act is probably the best thing that we can do to protect these kinds of problems that we've been discussing. Absolutely, thank you, Greg. Now I'd like to go to the questions and answer the questions from the audience. One of the first questions that came up was, does this affect homeschooling families and their children? Um, I'll be happy to go ahead and give a shot at that one. Um, I, I, I think it can, it will indirectly affect homeschooling families uh, to the extent that they're op they would be living in a world with the Equality Act, uh, where there would be, you know, all of the things that we've been discussing would be realities. Um, they would go into uh, businesses and workplaces where you have a SOGI non-discrimination regime, which, uh, you know, doesn't just protect LGBT people from unjust discrimination, uh, but also imposes all these kinds of affirmative obligations uh, on them uh, out in the world. Does the Equality Act directly regulate homeschooling? I'm not sure there is. I'm trying to think of a good legal theory that it does. I mean, a homeschooling group is probably not a place of public accommodation. You know, there's not really employment involved. There's not federal money involved. There's not housing involved. So I think homeschooling, qua homeschooling is probably okay from the Equality Act, but homeschoolers have to live in the world that will be created by the Equality Act. Thank you. Um, I'd like to ask any of you to identify actions that concerned parents, concerned citizens can take. Well, I can, I can start. Um, parents need to be vocal, not just parents, citizens. Um, you know, Public schools are federally funded, which means our tax, our tax dollars are supporting them. And anyone in society has an interest in what's going on in the schools. And so just from the perspective of the schools, be going to the school board meetings, 
um, be listening to um, what's happening at your district level, at your state level, and at the federal level. When there are calls for comments, make those comments, um, submit comments, ask questions, um, be the person who's saying, I'm not okay with this. That courage to step forward and, and say that, that calls other people, it gives other people the courage to do it as well. So just don't feel so overwhelmed that your voice can't be heard, you can be heard. Um, take every opportunity that you can, even if it's just in a conversation group with your friends around coffee, to say, hey, I'm really concerned about what's happening here and talk through some of this stuff. Because again, I think most people really don't appreciate the effects this is going to have. And I will um, I will echo that and take it maybe um, one step, uh, back it up one step in addressing, speaking to parents. Um, what I often see in local communities is that there will be a number of individual parents who privately are quite upset with what is being taught in the classroom, but they will say nothing. So yes, so number one, as Maria indicated first, talk to each other because if it bothers you, you most likely are not the only one. You're most likely not alone. And then go directly to individual teachers. Go have conversations with your own students' teachers. Um, you might be surprised. They are so accustomed to not being questioned that just having a parent request a meeting to, hey, I, I'd like to talk about the curriculum and, and understand it's already pervasive. Okay, we're not talking about just sex ed. We are talking about English and social studies just throughout the curriculum. Know what is being taught, especially at the middle school, especially the middle school and high school levels. Have those individual conversations with your own child's teachers and then go to the school committee meetings, absolutely. Um, I'll also add that Partners for Ethical Care has on its website a letter, a universal opt-out letter that parents can send to the school opting your child out of not just the family life education program, but telling the school you want your child to have no training on anything related to sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, the jury is still out. Maybe um, Mr. Baylor can talk a little bit more about the legalities of this, but um, we have been sending those to schools. We've been having parents send those to schools and the schools um, that from what I've been hearing have really been shocked. Like, we don't know what to do with these. You know, how do we handle these letters? So at the very least, send one of those letters to your child's teacher and your child's principal and let them know you don't want this taught to your child. Thank you, and I want to welcome Autumn back on screen. Thank you for joining us. Um, would you like to answer the question, what can citizens do about the Equality Act and these other policies? Happy to be here, Emily. Can you all hear me okay? Yes. Great. Uh, just checking, it said a little unstable on my end, but I wanted to just share briefly that one thing that, that citizens can do and parents can do especially is Family Policy Alliance is hosting a virtual rally tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. It's called Equality Act Exposed, um, really designed to allow uh, parents and 
just citizens to come and hear more from speakers from the Heritage Foundation, from March for Life to address some of the pro-life concerns in the bill, um, and even from our feminist friends who don't agree with us on many issues, including abortion, but who are very concerned about the gender aspects of the bill. Um, and so you'll hear from a variety of different perspectives and each of or many of the participating organizations will have action alerts that parents can take action and write to their members of Congress asking them to oppose the Equality Act. So it's a great way to get involved and to help try to stop the Equality Act and let your voice be heard because these members of Congress need to know that this is not what uh, Americans want, this is not what parents want, that it's not good for children. And the only way that they will know that is if parents and concerned citizens really raise their voices and make them make them heard um, because otherwise they will think that the bill is just good to go uh, and they will do exactly what democratic leadership is saying to do and just push the green vote button and of course we don't want that to happen we want to protect children's minds bodies and their relationships um, so please join in at 10 a.m tomorrow you can get more information at Family Policy Alliance's webpage about the rally, and many of the other participating organizations will be sending out information as well. Thank you, Autumn. And now I'd like to um, turn back to Greg. Uh, one of the questions was, you know, what is the status of the Equality Act of HR 5 in the House, and what could happen after the, the House votes on it? And what is your advice to concerned citizens? Well, my advice is to communicate with your representatives uh, and communicate quickly with them, especially in the House. Um, a lot of the organizations represented on the screen right here have resources available to you. As the um, Heritage and the Family Policy Alliance, ADF, you can get educated. In addition to listening to everything that's been said today, so you know what to say to these folks. The time is of the essence with respect to the House, because the House is planning to vote on this this week, as early as Thursday. And um, um, so there's no, no, there's going to be no committee hearing. There's going to be no markup. Uh, there are not going to be these other opportunities to speak uh, into this conversation. So now is the time to communicate with members of the House of Representatives. Um, we we are expect the HR five uh, to pass the House, just given the numbers and given it's a pretty much a partisan thing. Um, I'm not aware of any uh, Democratic member of the House who's opposed to the Equality Act. I think that there's some uncertainty about just how many Republicans will support it. It was a pretty small number, number last time, and we're cautiously optimistic it'll be a small number this time, but it is gonna pass. And of course, if it ever got to President Biden's desk, he would sign it. So the real question is, you know, what about the Senate? And I think that just, you know, to state the obvious, the fate of the Equality Act in this Congress, at least, uh, turns on the Senate and how the Senate deals with this. I think the process will be somewhat slower in the Senate, but not much slower. I, they might have a desire to uh, fulfill or try to fulfill President Biden's uh, campaign promise to, to have this you know, done by the first 100 days in office. Um, but the Senate, we do think the process will be a little slower. We might have an opportunity to uh, get in our arguments at a committee hearing and a subsequent markup. Uh, but like, will it pass? That's probably what you're thinking about right now. And some of the answer to that question turns on what with the Democratic leadership of the Senate does with the filibuster, under which, of course, as all of you know, uh, 60 votes are required to pass lots of kinds of legislation, including legislation like the Equality Act. There's been an ongoing debate about whether that should be done, whether it will be done. 
Uh, we've been glad to hear a, a number of Democratic senators express deep concerns about ab abolishing the filibuster, including Joe Manchin from West Virginia. Um, so, you know, can the Democrats get 60 votes? Can they get 10 Republicans to come on board? Um, we should not be complacent about that not happening. Um, I, if I had to guess, I would say it's unlikely, but we can never rest on assumptions. So we need to work hard to communicate with our senators to know the depth of concern about the Equality Act. Yes, people want everyone to be treated with dignity and respect. No one's in favor of unjust discrimination. However, this Equality Act is not the way to, to accomplish that. And it has all these negative downsides that we've been talking about. So even if they abolish the filibuster, you know, there's, it's still pretty tight. I mean, Joe, Joe Manchin from West Virginia was not a sponsor of the Equality Act in the last Congress. Now, Susan Collins from Maine was, but uh, it's conceivable that she won't be a sponsor this time. So, um, so there's, it's probably gonna pass the House, uncertainty of the Senate, and all of that, all of that points to involvement, sharing your voice, making your voice home, sharing these concerns. Because the more you hear about the Equality Act, the worse it sounds, and we need to we need to accomplish that objective. And one question that came in from the audience was, how can we find out more information about the Equality Act and which members of Congress have committed to, and how how members of Congress have committed to vote? Um, the Heritage Foundation, Heritage Action for America has that information on their website. Family Policy Alliance also has that information on their website. Um, another question that came in from the audience is, will there be um, recourse for private citizens in the courts if the Equality Act were to pass and, and our conscience, religious freedom, and other rights were to be violated by the Equality Act? Greg, would you like to answer that question? Yeah, yeah. I, the Equality Act absolutely, definitely will uh, violate a constitutionally protected right. There's just no doubt about it. That is going to happen. And what do you do when your constitutional rights have been violated? You go to court. And you know, ADF is prepared to do that. We're we're beefing up our staff in preparation of the possibility of that. Now we know we've got a lot of fight already given the administrative actions that the Biden administration is taking and developments that are occurring at the state and local levels. But yes, there will be resource to the courts. It may be made harder in the event that the Equality Act passes because one of the things, as I discussed before, is they take away your rights to assert a claim under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which again is the most potent and powerful religious freedom argument you have in federal law. But that doesn't mean we don't have arguments. We have arguments under the existing statutory exemptions. We have arguments under the ministerial exception, which you may have heard about because of Supreme Court cases decided in the last few years. And we have arguments under the Constitution, the Free Exercise Clause, the Free Speech Clause, and even some under the Establishment Clause. So ADF and other groups that do litigation are going to be we're preparing now, and we're going to be prepared to vindicate the constitutional rights of those uh, who will be injured uh, by the Equality Act in the, in the event that it becomes law. Thank you, Greg. And one final question that came from several members of the audience is, where can parents find more information about how to um, protect their children? What resources are there? Um, there was an opt-out letter that was mentioned. What, where is that available? Um, I'll just start off by answering that question. There is something called the Gender Resource Guide, and that is free, that is online, that is an excellent resource for parents. It gives 
extensive information about how to engage with your local school board, your state representative, your member of Congress. It discusses the Equality Act and is a, a very handy tool for parents. And that's something that the Heritage Foundation has endorsed as, as many of the other organizations on this call have as well. Um, Autumn, would you or any of the other panelists like to mention additional resources? I'm happy to jump in, Emily, yes. So on the Promise to America's Children, Children website, which I know was provided to you by the Heritage Foundation today, there will be a lot of additional resources for parents, including a link to the gender guide, as well as several other things from uh, many different organizations that have endorsed the promise. There are around 50 organizations that have endorsed it so far, so there, there will be plenty of resources that will be posted there and updated fairly frequently. Um, and you can sign the Promise to America's Children yourself if you go to that web page. If you're a policymaker, say a state legislator or an elected official, official of some kind, and you'd like to participate, um, there's a place for you to sign the Promise and your support for protecting children's minds, bodies, and relationships. Um, and if you're a parent or just a concerned citizen or a grandparent, you would sign the, the Promise on the Parent page. Uh, where you can add your name and continue to get ongoing resources as well. And that's promisetoamericaschildren.org. I'll add also that partnersforethicalcare.com has a page um, called Parents or Materials for Parents. And that's a, a good place to go and get some resources, including that universal opt-out letter that I mentioned earlier. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank each of you and Representative Hartzler for bringing your expertise to the discussion of this really important issue and this really important bill. Um, I also wanna thank our audience for joining us today. And we hope that you found some very useful information both on the Equality Act and the Promise to America's Children. We invite you to visit the Promise to America's Children website and to join other citizens, parents, and lawmakers who are uniting to protect children's minds, bodies, and the relationships with their parents. So in the future, if you would like to find out about heritage events, you can visit www.heritage.org. You will also be receiving a short survey that will help us to understand what are the, the issues that you want us to cover in future events. And finally, you'll see our contact information on the Heritage Events Live page. I invite you to contact me if you have questions about today's event or if you have suggestions for future events. I want to remind you all of the Facebook rally online tomorrow uh, with the Family Policy Alliance at 10 a.m. And it is to uh, expose the dangers of the Equality Act to children and their families. Thank you all so much for joining us today.